listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, gang. Welcome to part four of Now Trending. My name is Joe Bevilacqua. I'm the lead pastor here. If we haven't had the chance to meet, uh, grab something to take notes with today. Today is going to be pretty chock full. Uh, today was a, a, an answer to a question you posed on Easter. And what I found is as I put these messages together, it was my struggle to not have a six-week sermon for each question that we were trying to answer. Today, I will tell you, it will be like drinking from a fire hose. You should sign up for the podcast. Uh, those of you that take notes on a faithful basis, you might be bringing out your phone and, and taking pictures of the screens as we jump through because we're going to be answering a whopper, and that is the question, how do I survive the worst moments in life? It's going to be a big deal. Before we jump into that, uh, next week, everybody say next week. Uh, next week, my wife, Kaya, is going to be preaching on Mother's Day. So excited about that. Yeah, she has a message uh, straight from heaven. She's been studying all the time and telling me what God's doing. Uh, it is Mother's Day as well. Uh, if you are the type of person to go to your mom's church on Mother's Day, that's just different this year. Grab your mom, bring them here. We have free flowers and chocolate. I'm telling you, there's no other church in the city that treats moms as well as New Chapel. And also on uh, our next Sunday uh, worship services, we're having child dedications. So if you haven't dedicated your baby, your toddler, your young person to the Lord, sign up today. And you can do that uh, in service. Uh, you can go to uh, newchapel.com family and do it online. Or when you're walking out today, you can go to guest services. They have a sign-up sheet there. We'd love to be able to dedicate your children to the Lord. Amen, somebody? Uh, how do we survive the worst moments in life? Why do bad things happen to good people? At least we're going to take a light subject today. Um, when we see bad things happen, I think it's very natural for us to ask the question, why? Uh, it's a normal human nature thing. Uh, God, where were you? What happened? We prayed, and we didn't, we didn't think that you answered God. Or, God, we were believing God, and we got pregnant, but we miscarried. Or a child died. And, Lord, I was in this relationship, but it didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to. Or maybe it's somebody that we love, and they died prematurely. You know they could have lived longer than they did, and they were even a good person, a godly person, but they died younger than their time. You just know it. And, and there's family issues that break out. And you, you say, God, what do I do in moments like this? When there's failure of our finances, failure in a marriage and it ends in divorce, or failure when we face a setback. Uh, the Barna Group, they do studies on these type of things. And they ask the question, hey, uh, if you could ask God any question, what would it be? And overwhelmingly, the number one question that comes up in so many words is, why does God allow pain and suffering in the world today. We get it when people who are bad have bad things happen to us. In fact, it's kind of gratifying in a way, isn't it? Like, like you know, we, that doesn't interrupt my, my theology or my faith in God at all. In fact, get them, God, you know. But when something bad happens to someone who's good or someone that we love, it makes us ask why. And there is no better story in the Bible to give an answer to why in the book of Job. If you have your Bibles, turn with me far, far to the left in the Old Testament to the book of Job. Now, Job is one of the most misunderstood people in all of the Bible. Poor Job. 
He has divided more churches and denominations than you could ever imagine. And, and the answer for really the hope that God has is in Job. But with that, the enemy has come after the book and its interpretation over the centuries to try to water Job down into really somebody that's getting hit by a cosmic fly swatter. And you're unsure whether it's God or the devil. And, and I want to bring clarity to that today. Job was a devout man, a godly man, and he had a very, very bad day. In fact, we'll talk about it when we get into his narrative a little bit more, but he lost everything. He lost everybody who he loved. He lost all his uh, livelihood, his finances, his kids. They all were taken from him. It was a very tragic situation. You have to remember that the book of Job is actually the first book to ever be written in your Bible. Now, Genesis is the first chronologically, so they put it at the beginning, but it wasn't the first one that was ever written. The first one ever written was the book of Job. And so as I read Job, he is like this wonderful, super trooper, swell guy. He is ignorant as all get up. And, and some of the things that he finds himself in is really because he doesn't know. And so I have an incredible amount of grace on Mr. Job because there was no written Bible for him to read at that time. Uh, his book, Job, is tucked in with the history and poetry books of the Bible. So there's some at the beginning that are in chronological order, and then it's grouped in with history and poetry books, and there's some wisdom books. And, and so uh, the first two chapters of Job are history, straight history. The last two, three chapters are straight history. Uh, in the middle is a bunch of, it's, it's true that it happened, these conversations, but it's very poetic in how they come about. And Job, in the midst of facing this really, really bad day, his attitude does go sour. And you can read it if you like extra homework. There's about 36 chapters of complaining with his stupid friends to God and, and saying, like, God, why? And you did this, and I, I hate that, and where are you? And, and I'm going to sum it all up in just one passage. You can read it if you'd like. It's a real upper. But uh, Job chapter 30 and verse 20, the Bible says this, I call to you, O God, but you never answer. Don't you love it when you get into an argument with someone and they do the vain generalities of always, never, and you're always doing, you never answer. And when I pray, God, you pay no attention. You're never. And we've all been there in our walk with God before. Yeah, but, but Job actually, if you read through the narrative, he goes from just questioning God, which I think is really maybe even a hallmark of having a real relationship with him. He, he can stand up to your questions. But he tips over to a spot where it's like, God, you're not doing it right. And he starts taking God's inventory in all of it. Like, you're not doing it the way it's supposed to happen. I'm facing my worst day. Where are you? And he feels the emotion so strongly. And we all know what that's like to have moments like, God, where are you? But, but it begins to tip in all of it. Now, here's the question. Is that true? No, God answers prayer. It's, it's not that he doesn't pay any attention and that he never answers. It's how he feels in that moment. And what you'll find in Job is, as you go through his narrative, he takes you on a journey of where he's at. And where he lands at the end is a beautiful spot. But as you do it, you have to discern what he's saying because it's not all true. It has been through the centuries since Christ, even before, that it's mankind's emotionalism, and I would even say Job in particular, Emotional responses have formed some of the backwoods, crooked theology that some people, I mean, they, they really believe in it. It's hard for me to even walk down that road, but they stand on it. And so this 
particular message could be a six-week series. I'm going to have to give you just some real quick points. Every one of these could be a whole message, but just rapid fire. Here's some things we need to clear up about God's will and when bad things happen. Uh, write it down. Uh, some people think that it is God allowing things that are bad because he's going to teach you something. Now, just to make it clear in all of these things when you're taking notes, that's wrong. So I put it in really big letters, okay? In orange, wrong. It's bad theology. God allows these things because he's going to teach you something. So his word is not enough. He can't speak to you through his spirit. God needs to take your kid from you to teach you something about finances or not being crooked in your dealings. That seems like a very limited way for God to deal with us, that God would have a higher plane. And so we have to realize that even though we might learn things and grow through hardship and trials, God is not causing those things to happen. He can use them. He can redeem them as the Bible word, but he is not actively causing those in your life. He's not trying to teach you something through a trial. Uh, next thing, write it down. People say, it's God's judgment. God's judging me. You know, uh, back in 2005, Hurricane Katrina came through, and it really did some work in New Orleans and, and all of the Gulf Coast there. And there were some TV preachers that got on, and they said, well, that's God's judgment on New Orleans for Mardi Gras. Okay, I have a lot of problems with that. First of all is this. If God's judgment hit New Orleans, the Gulf of Mexico would be repeated in that whole region. There'd be a big hole there. They'd call it the Gulf of Louisiana, okay? The Louisiana Purchase would be wiped out. There'd be a large hole where it was if God's judgment went there. God's not going to do a halfway job. And, and to me, when you look at it, it has the tall tale signs of the enemy all over it. Further, my Bible says that Jesus took my judgment, took my pain. He took my punishment on Calvary's cross. That's the Bible, everybody. And so when people just come up with things and say, well, that's God's judgment, how does that square when the children's orphanage gets wiped out? God trying to judge them too? Was somebody crooked there? Somebody say a naughty word on the playground? See, it's backwards theology. It doesn't square. Next thing, write it down. Well, it just must be the will of God. Come on, Western Michigan. You've heard this one. It's the will of God. Seems like everything we don't have an answer for, we just say, well, it's the will of God. You go bankrupt. Well, that just must have been God's will. God, God, God willed you to do. You, 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 your, your wife leaves you, and you're like, well, that's God's will. Your dog dies. That's God's will. We have a beginning of a really good country song at, at this church, and, and people say, what's well, God's will? It's God. And here's, here's my big problem with that. You don't even know what God's will is. If you knew, if you read the Bible, you'd know, this is not God attacking you. This is the will of the Lord. God has good things for you. But yet we ascribe things that we don't know to God because we think that God is in control of everything. Look at me. God is not in control of everything. Why get saved and make Jesus the Lord of your life if he's already the Lord of your life and in control? This world is in chaos. The signature of that is in the dysfunction that we see in politics, in the weather system, in the social structure falling apart. If God's in control, he's doing a bad job. Is God in control in the prevailing sense? Absolutely. Revelation will play out precisely how God said it would. But he allows mankind to have something that Western Michigan balks at, and that is free will. He allows us to make decisions, some of which harm us. And so we have to get into the word of God of this thing. Of what is your will? And then finally, this one's kind of tricky. 
People say it's only sin that brings bad things on. You must have messed up in an area. Now, friend, I will tell you, there are some things that you can do that are stupid to bring a lot of destruction on your life. If I haven't said it before, I'll say it again. God can't heal stupid. You have to do it. It's Romans 12, okay? You can do dumb things, and it can bring awful results. But at the same time, there are people that are born with birth defects. I was born with clubbed feet. I didn't sin in the womb, and God's like, up, oh, clubbed feet on that one. You know, I mean, it was... Sometimes it's not a result of any sin that you did. It's because you live in a chaotic world that is in desperate need of its Jesus. Amen, somebody? There's a couple of thoughts as we go into this. How does the attack happen? Why does it happen? Why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Job. I'm going to start reading in chapter 1. I want to show you today an interesting interaction in between Satan and God himself, and I want to bring clarity to it. Job 1, I'm going to start in verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God, sons of God, uh, this is talking about angelic beings, so it's talking about fallen angels and those that have not fallen. God's calling a congress of them together. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And so Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. The casual reader is going to read this and think that there's just this uh, loose interaction in between Satan and God. And where have you been? I'm just walking around. That's not what's happening. God is calling into question, where have you been? I called this Congress. You need to be here. When I speak, when I say jump, you yell how high. And he says, well, I've been all over the world. You think he's just, he's just talking. No, he's saying, you know that world that you created for man? You gave man dominion over the world. I've been walking all over that world. See, the Bible says that Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. They noticed that they were naked in the garden when they sinned because the lights went out. They literally and visibly reflected the visible glory of God. They were called to be in his image being not God on earth, but to reflect his authority and dominion on this earth. When they ate the fruit in the garden, friend, they weren't just passively, oops, we made a mistake. They were switching sides. And when they ate of that fruit, the lights went out. They noticed their nakedness, but the dominion and the authority transferred to Satan, the enemy of your soul. And so when God says, where have you been? He says, I've been walking all over the creation that you made. I have dominion. It continues on in all of that. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil? Now, I want you to remember this. God is not saying he's perfect or sinless, but at the same time, there's none like him. He's a blameless and upright man who fears God, has a severe respect for God. And he's not saying this. You ever thought about Job? Let's get him. Let's put this to the test. That's not what's happening. Again, God is speaking very much like the rabbis do today and all the way through history. It's a very Jewish, a very Hebrew way of speaking. It's very poetic and elegant. He's not going straight to the point, but he's bringing up the point straight away. And he's saying, you're here about Job, and I know he's a good guy. See, God's standing up for you when you don't even know it. Now, here's what happens. Verse 9. Satan answered the Lord. There's the clarity on it. There's an answer for this. He says, does Job fear God for nothing? 
In other words, he's going to put an indictment on Job and say, Job's been blessed in all these ways, so really the problems that are coming are your fault. That's where this is going. Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge? Everybody say the word head, made a hedge around him. Remember that. Around his household, around all that he has on every side, you have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. Satan is citing a hedge. Remember that is central to the story. At the same time, I want you to see that Satan is talking around the subject, and he's citing a hole in Job's armor in his hedge because he wants to bring evil a charge against God. Job 1, now verse 11. Satan says, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. This is where misguided theologians and pastors that went to correspondence school end up saying things like, see, Pastor Joe, do you see how they're working together in all of this? God gave Satan permission. Look at me. Remember this until the day you die. What God said was not a statement of permission. It was a statement of fact. Remember, I'm calling all these angelic forces, and I want full disclosure on the attack you're bringing against my guy. You tell me exactly what's going to happen. And he pops off about how awful he is, and if you didn't bless him, he would just curse you. And he says, look, behold, all that he has is in your hands. In other words, there's something at play that's exposed Job, but you can't kill him. Remember, remember that Satan was put in a spot of authority in this world. Let me show it for you, because some of you are still scratching your head like, Pastor, are you sure about this? 2 Corinthians, New Testament, chapter 4, verse 4. Satan, who is the God of this world? Are you satisfied? Lowercase g. He's not God, but he's the God of this world. You can see his, his signature. He has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. In other words, this is a foggy subject. I think that this passage is directly tied to Job because there's a lot of people, even good people, godly people, they don't see this. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who's the exact likeness of God. They choke on it because there is an enemy of your soul, the God of this world, that's fighting against you. And so Job is, is exploited to attack, not because God gave permission. God stated fact in all of it. Write this down. When Adam and Eve sinned, they legally surrendered their authority to the enemy. This is true. And we need to understand that our bad decisions can result in hardship. This is just true. But I also want you to see that God is not giving permission here. It is a statement of fact. He knows what's going on. In fact, he demanded an account. He said, knock it off, in essence. Tell me what you're going to do to my man. And he put limitations on Satan of what he couldn't do. That tells me, and it gives me a lot of confidence in knowing, write it down, God has full disclosure on the attack of the enemy. You need to know that. So anything that you're going through, God knows it inside and out. Satan had to give full account of the attack that he's bringing against you. That is great news. Nothing is hidden from our God. Amen, somebody? The story goes on. Job lost everything. He lost his house. He lost his kids, his livestock. He lost his health. He broke out in boils all over his body. 
Uh, actually, the only thing that he didn't lose is his wife. Uh, some theologians believe that there's a reason for that. Uh, she was a real piece of work. If, if you want to read the Bible there, it's, it's kind of hilarious. He's, he's just beside himself. I mean, he's lost everything, everyone that he loves. And he sits down with boils all over his body. He sits down on a pile of ash, the Bible says. And he looks over, and there's some shards of pottery that have also been broken. Like, he doesn't even have a pot. I could finish that. But, so he takes the pot, and he's going to scrape his boils with some pottery. And his loving, doting wife comes up and says, you ought to just curse God and die. For real. How'd you like to wake up to that every morning? Okay, so <laughs> I just picture like the demons are attacking Job, you know, and they're like, hey, Satan, we got his house. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, we got all of his, his kids and his livelihood. You want us to go after his wife? No, 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 no. Let her stay. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> that's the Bible. <laughs> okay, the narrative continues. Job 1 and verse 20. The Bible says that Job arose. He tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground, and he worshiped God. They would do things on the outside to try to express what they were feeling on the inside. We still do this with baptism. He's trying to say how just destroyed he is, and he's trying to show everybody, like, I'm going through it. Uh, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. If you read this in the Bible's original languages, it conveys something different, especially towards the end of this passage. Leave it up there for just a second, guys. In 1611, when King James uh, translated the Bible into the king's English of the time, there were certain Anglican uh, Church of England doctrines that infiltrated that book. It's a, great, it's a great copy, but things like the word baptism didn't exist. John the Baptist would have literally been translated John the Immerser. But they knew that if they didn't translate it like a new word, make up a new word, that King James would have them beheaded. After all, he did it to all of his wives. And so uh, they're writing this, this new copy of the Bible in common English, in the King's English, and there are active and passive verbs in the Old Testament. You need to know that. So there's some things that sounds like God's doing it, but really God is permitting it to happen, which is what is happening right now. God's permitting everything that is happening to happen. In all of this, Job did not sin, meaning he did not intend to sin. Uh, the activity there is he is not trying to bring any charge against God. He's not charging God with anything wrong in his heart. And I want to bring that up right now. Again, it could be a whole sermon. It's going to be explained at the end of this whole narrative because Job really takes ownership over the words that he said, including these words. And these words are the biggie. These are the ones that you've heard if you've gone to church in any church in western Michigan. The Lord gave and the Lord takes away. You might have seen it in movies when somebody dies. You might have been told that if you lost someone or something great in your life that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Question, this is an all play. Who said that? Job said that. Did God say that? No, God did not say that. Job is not correct in what he is saying in this passage. It is not true. 
And people use it for everything. Something goes wrong and something falls apart. Hey, Lord gives, Lord takes away. The proverbial dog dies. Hey, Lord gives, Lord takes away. It's just this, this blanket statement that people just roll out the carpet of, I actually don't know God's character or the Bible, but I know enough to confuse you because I know you don't know as much. Lord gives, Lord takes away. And it's this, it's this rock that people have stood on, and it's, it's made out of sand. It's not there. Now, I'm going to say another thing that's pretty shocking in this message. Trek with me. Don't Google other churches while I say this, okay? Not everything in your Bible is true. Everything in your Bible is truly stated, but it's not all true. The Bible says that Judas went and hung himself, and a couple verses later it says, go and do likewise. Well, if you combine that together, I think that's a pretty bad truth, right? So it is true that Job said the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. It is not a truth that you build doctrine or build your life on. You're still kind of juries out. Okay, let me help you. Let me help you. I knew you'd feel this way. I'm a pastor. I'm allowed to like scare you a little bit and bring you back, okay? What is our standard for theology? It's Jesus. If you're ever confused about, oh my gosh, I read this in the Old Testament, how does this square with like what the covenant they're in? It's Jesus. Jesus is your standard for theology. And in fact, Jesus says something pretty significant that contradicts Job's words. Where is it? It's in John's Gospel, chapter 10 and verse 10, the great dividing line of all of the Bible, where Jesus says, it's the thief. The thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life. And have it more abundantly. You see it, right? And so Job is saying the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And it's a very binary, transactional view of God Almighty. But he's completely unaware that there's an enemy. In his defense, he's never read any word of Scripture. But he's unaware of that. And so what Jesus is doing is contradicting what Job has said. Jesus is your standard for theology. If you're ever confused about something, you go back and see what he said about it. God is a good God, and the devil is a bad devil. That's a standard for your life. You can build a life on that. If you start calling good things bad and start calling bad things good, number one, you look just like the world, and number two, you're lost on the same denominational confusion that has pickled those people into inactivity. Let me be pretty strong for a second. The, the world looks at us like you've had 2,000 years to get together on a book, and you can't figure it out because we can't read black and white and interpret the Bible with the Bible. I think what we need to do is look at what the Word of God says and relate it to what Jesus has conveyed and build doctrine on that. When you call bad things good and good things bad, it is blasphemous. You have to make God into a God that's teaming up with the devil to come after you, whether it is to develop you or to hurt you. And you can't build that out of Scripture. It's not there, everybody. Say amen. amen. If you've got God killing family members and burning down your house and making you go bankrupt, what do you need a devil for? I'm serious, everybody. What do you need that for? The, the, the Bible says that he's a good father. He's a good father. The book of John chapter 1, the Bible says that, that he's the express image of the Father. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen what God would do. 
The Bible says, Jesus says of himself in the book of Matthew, that, that, that the God up above, Father Almighty, right? Like God Almighty, he gives good gifts to his kids unlike us. We think we're so good, his good gifts are on another level. And yet, if you acted like what some people in your family or maybe you even thought in the past about God, this world, which is backwards, would lock you up, wouldn't they? Okay, you're going to kill somebody's kid to teach the dad to be a better businessman. The world would lock you up, okay? But yet we ascribe those things to God, and the Bible says, how much better is he at giving good gifts to his kids? Can I preach it that way, everybody? Come on, somebody. And so we need to realize that bedrock level, God is good. The devil is bad. Jesus is the standard for theology. When you have that, it brings clarity to all of these confusing scriptures. Why do bad things happen to good people? Okay. Y'all remember a couple years ago, there was, uh, there was these insurance commercials. Which are the best commercials? And uh, it was for Allstate. And it was this guy called Mayhem. Oh, I love those commercials. They started to play them before movies. I love that guy. He needs to come to this church. He's my buddy. And, and he would say something like, I'm a teenage girl looking at her phone while I'm driving. You know, and, and the idea is it would all fall apart in the commercial, and he would personify some of the reasons why you would need insurance. Uh, he would say things like, I'm a cat, you know, and he would just like tear apart somebody's house. And, and my favorite one out of all of it is, I'm your mother-in-law, and I'm always right, you know. And, and so mayhem. Pastor Joe, why do bad things happen in this world? Write it down. You live in a fallen world and you have a real enemy. There's something that we don't want to accept but you know is true, and that is that there is mayhem. There is chance in this world. It is fallen. It is not as it was supposed to be. And we that are Christ followers, we're, we're piecing it back together. We're fixing hell, like one person at a time, including us. But you live in a fallen world. You have a real enemy. That's why some of these things are happening. Now, with that, I want to bring out just one cause that we can avoid. I had you say it. I had you remember it. Do you remember Job's hedge? Let me show it for you. The, the word hedge was massive. Job 3, verse 23. There is something you can't avoid. Job says this, Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God is hedged in? So he brings this up again, poetic language. For my sighing comes before I eat and my groanings pour out like water. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me and what I dreaded has happened to me. The hole in Job's hedge of protection that God put around him was the fact that that Job had fear, not just normal fear. He dreaded the things that happened to him. They happened to him. It fulfilled his worst dreams, his worst imaginations. Write it down. Fear was the hole in Job's hedge. There's nothing like fear. It's like blood to a shark with the enemy. Thank God not everything that we do fear comes upon us. Thank God. But have you ever wondered why the enemy brings fear into our life? Have you ever wondered that? The truth is this, if the enemy could just come in and take you out right away, he would do it. He has to use fear to wear you down to the spot where you have a hole in your fence, where you accept something in that you have no business accepting in because you don't know what God's will is on it. He wears you down with fear. Do you see it? And so fear is the hole in the hedge. Great fear 
can exploit you to attack. Fear can totally counteract your faith. In fact, faith and fear are, are on the same plane. They're on the same battlefield. Job feared for his family. Uh, if you like extra homework, read chapter 1. You'll read about Job, and he's making sacrifices for his adult children. Okay, sounds good. Again, a casual reading, but listen to me. You have no business making sacrifices for your, for your adult children. You went to the temple and sacrificed in animal form. They need to go in. They're grown. Some of you have 25-year-old kids at home. You're still waping their butt. And I'm telling you, the thing that you greatly fear could come upon you. Well, I just don't want them to get... No. Pray for them and let them go. What if they don't wake up on time for work? Bless God, then they're going to get fired. Job's waping his kid's butt into their 20s and 30s, and it exploited his whole family to death. Write it down or don't. It doesn't really matter to me. I'm in sales, not in management. <laughs> okay. He dreaded it. Write it down. Fear will make you vulnerable to attack from the enemy. I could preach to you a whole six-week series just on fear, but friend, listen to me. You have to face it. Don't, don't leave this place if you're riddled with anxiety and fear today. No, no reason why we can't do with it today. God doesn't want you to leave in that spot. Got to move on. I've got to summarize because, again, this could be a whole book, but why do bad things happen to good people? You might want to take a picture with your phone of this. Bad things are not from God. We talked about that. The mayhem of a fallen world can bring bad things. Our bad choices can, can bring the bad. The bad choices of others can make bad things happen, and our fear can bring about bad things. That is just the truth. Now, with that being said, the next time you face your worst day, the next time you face hardship and it knocks at your door and you go, God, why? There's the list, but let me help you. None of that's going to be satisfying to you. Not one bit of it. So you didn't just come to hear the why. You came to understand, God, what do I do in the face of my worst day? I want to help you with that. There's some more lessons from Job that we can mine out. Now, he did have some dorky friends that gave him such awful advice, but he had one guy that gave him some pretty level advice. It says this in Job 33, verse 23. If there is a messenger for him, and this is what the friend says to Job, a mediator, one among a thousand, to show man his uprightness, then he is a gracious man to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit, for I have found a ransom. Prophetic language talking about the, the mediator. Jesus. That's really the answer to everything that we're going through. And it's not a simplistic point, but you should write it down. The answers that we seek are found in Jesus. The Bible says that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's not one voice, Satan, speaking to God anymore. Now there is Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren, but now you have an advocate in Jesus who's pleading the blood over every attack at the enemy in your life. The answers that you're seeking, they're found in the person of who Jesus is. And in their time, they're looking forward to the coming Messiah. We have resolve in our king that has come and been re resurrected. That's who we have confidence in. Amen, somebody? Amen. And so the key in all of this is to press in to Jesus. Now, Job discovers through these 36 chapters that God is the answer and not his problem. And I hope that you see that today. God's your great answer. God is not the one holding you back in this world. 
And here's what's amazing. God responds. And so God can stand up to your criticism. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. But if you're bold and you're going to vent to God, you might get a very direct response from heaven as well. So this is what God says to him. I love these type of passages. The Lord spoke to Job, the Bible says. Who are you to question my counsel with your ignorant, empty words? <laughs> so in other words, not everything Job said was right. If God has to correct them, it's not all right. Brace yourself like a man. I'm going to question you. You're going to answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. He says, who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. I love a little bit of sarcastic talk from God, in essence saying like, you think I was involved in all of this? You think this is how I created this to be? You're ascribing this junk to me. You know it all. Tell me about it. And it exploits the fact that it's wrong. A little bit of negative reinforcement from heaven doesn't mean it's evil. God's correcting a behavior in Job, and it's this behavior that thinks you can say whatever you want about God. Friend, listen, be very careful. Weigh the words. He can take your questions. He can even take a moment of venting. Be very careful what you say. This is what God did, unless you really know. Say amen, somebody. And so Job's response, it's actually kind of amazing because, again, he responds with humility. And he says this in uh, Job 42, now verse 1. Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is it that obscures my plans without knowledge? He's like, that was me. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things that were too wonderful for me to know. My ears had heard of you like I had a kind of an understanding, but not really. Now my eyes have seen. What is he doing? Job is repenting. He's repenting for what? The things that he spoke that he didn't understand. What, Pastor Joe? I'm so glad y'all asked. Y'all set me up so well. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Sorry I said that. Psych. You know, like, it, that's not true. I heard some stuff and I made up my own. My grandma talked about Christianity, but I... You hear me, everybody? My grandma believed some of this stuff. She said it to me. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. My grandma was sweet as sugar. She was country as cornbread. She was tough as a nail all at once. And when I began to learn about these things, I talked to her about it a little bit, but I was smart. I'm not going to correct my grandma. <laughs> and she passed away thinking that the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Well, now she knows I'm right. Amen. And so you might have a family member or a grandma, and she's taught you some of these things. That's her prerogative. You need to side with the word of God over what grandma says 10 times out of 10, everybody. Job repents of doing, uh, uh, not only saying the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, he repents of the action of fear. And watch what happens when Job turns to God. Job 42, now verse 10. The Lord restored Job's losses. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. To the casual reader, you missed it. What did Job say? The Lord gives, Lord takes away. The Lord says, uh, 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 watch this. The Lord gave. Just stop right there. God is a giver. He's generous. He who did not spare his own son, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? God loves you. He's devoted to you. You've never experienced love like you have from our God. 
And when we say, oh, man, maybe he's doing this in my life, you might have said that in humility. I said it in humility, being absolute 100% wrong, ascribing evil to my God. And so repent of it, like Job did, and see that the Lord gives. God is a good God. The devil is a bad devil. The Lord gives, the devil takes away. Write it down, the heart of God is not to destroy, but to bless. That's the nature and character of God. It's to bless you. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have standards. He absolutely does. But God's nature is is of a dad to bless you. In James, the half-brother of Jesus, he couldn't make it more clear in James 1. Every good gift and every perfect gift, it's from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, the Bible says, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. What does that mean? No variation. He's not going to change his mind. Not even a shadow of it. Well, God, can, can I really trust you with this? Can I really trust you with the tithe? Can I really trust you with raising my kids in this world? There's no shadow of, 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 of a shadow of turning or variation. I am consistent on, says God. I am the Lord. I change not. So you can trust him that the good things come from him. Amen, somebody? Amen. Now, I have to wrap this up in five minutes. Pray. I want to give you four things that if you apply these into your life, I think it'll change your narrative because this is not the end. If you're going through your worst day right now, listen to me now, this is not an end. This is your beginning. And I want to tell you how to survive a bad day. The Apostle Paul went through some bad days. He says this in 2 Timothy 1. He says, I am suffering. And maybe that's you. If you're honest with yourself, I get it. You come in here, you get your little cup of coffee, you got your church smile on, you know. But if you're honest, you say, Pastor Joe, I'm going through it. That's the truth. Things aren't where I thought they would be. I'm not landing where I thought I would be. I'm dealing with some relationship stuff. I'm dealing with some financial pressure. I am suffering. And this is what Paul has learned and what, what you can get today. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. He's talking about Jesus. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. I know that he's able. I put my trust in him. He's not going to let me down. But he says this, I know whom I have believed. I'm going to give you four I know statements that when you find yourself in your worst day, the next time, even if it's today, I want you to say that you know some things. Number one, write it down. I know God loves me. I don't know what this is. I don't know where this came from. This came out of left field, Pastor Joe. This attack, this bill, this issue. But here's what I do know is that God loves me. Greater love has no man than this than he lay down his life for his friends. God loves you. Well, what if I messed up and I don't even know it? Stop fixating on why it happened. Some of you, you get so caught up in that, you're not thinking about how to get out of that junk. You're so caught up in the injustice of it all, and you're trying to figure that's above your pay grade. I don't even know why it happened. And if God doesn't reveal it to you, you probably shouldn't waste your time. You move on and start thinking, how am I going to get out of it? And here's what I know. God loves me. Because here's what happens. When you don't focus on that, on how to get out, you'll start thinking that the negative thing that's happening to you is maybe an indictment of how God feels towards you. Romans 8 makes it clear. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not even spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble, or calamity, or persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? No. Despite all of these things, 
overwhelming victory is ours through Jesus. See, you're focusing on, does God still love me? You're questioning everything, and that's what a trial will do. It'll make you question every foundation. Stop! Focus on the fact that he loves you. Let's get out of this thing. Let's have some victory in our Christian walk. Let's not be a victim. Let's get out of this junk. Amen, somebody? Write it down. When I know God is with me, I can face whatever is against me. You might not know the why, but you know the whom. I know in whom I trust. Number two, got to press on. I know that God promises the best for me. God promises the best for you. You're his kid. He has great promises. Second Peter says it. Because of his glory and his excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that, two things, they enable you to share his divine nature. In other words, God wants to fix that stuff that's in you that needs fixing. We all have that. And escape the world's corruption. Those are the things happening outside of you that you're praying and asking God to change. God has given you great and precious promises to deal with both. And the fact of the matter is what happens in Western Michigan is people get hung up on this thought. They think, here's what it is. God can do anything. I can't find one church that wouldn't say that God can do whatever he wants. But here's where Western Michigan chokes. I don't know if he will do it for me. If it be thy will... And they never take the time to read the Bible and find out what his will is for their life. And so consequently, they don't have knowledge about God's word. And if you're brand new to Christianity or you're like just getting back to church or you're a visitor, you're doing it already. Don't condemn yourself right now. Like, go team. You're on the right track because you don't want to be destroyed because you don't know. That's what the Bible says in the book of Hosea. God says this. He says, my people. Can we bring this into the New Testament? Christians, my people are destroyed. How? They don't know what they don't know. They got a blind spot and nobody's in the car pointing it out. They're destroyed for lack of knowledge of what? God's great and precious promises. He has promises for your finances, promises for your health, promises for your marriage and for your children. God has promises for you. And if you never are aware of them and never apply them, never speak God's word and stand on God's word in your life, the devil's going to eat your lunch and you're going to wonder, why is this happening? See how it's cyclical? You got to know that God has great promises. Write it down. There's provision in God's promises. That's where the answer is, everybody. Some of the things you're begging God for, he's already provided. He needs you to stand on it. Oftentimes, the fight of faith is not to get something. When you pray in faith, in Jesus' name, amen, the answer is yes, you already have it. But I don't hold, it's not in my presence. The fight of faith is not to get it, it's to keep it. Selah. So what do you have to do? Well, it's beginning to materialize. Well, it shows up in front of you. You need to trust what God is doing in the process, the promises are everything. Got to move on. We have to trust that God, write it down, he has a plan. I know that God has a plan for me. His plan, custom tailor for Joe Bevilacqua, custom tailor for you. God has a plan through it all. The current reality that I'm seeing, that I'm experiencing, even if I'm at my worst, at my worst day, at the hardest time, What I'm seeing is less real than God's plan for me. 
And if God's will was any question for you today, here it is in Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 29 on my grandma's fridge. Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you. I know it. I'm resolved in it, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Can I put it in my verbiage? You can trust me. I'm not playing both sides. Everything I'm doing is for you. I'm putting limitations on the attack. And when the attack comes, we can deal with this together. God has a plan through it all. Jeremiah is so clear about that. Plans to prosper and not to harm. God is always causing a, a distinction in between the plans of the enemy and what he has. Write it down. I'm not afraid. And this is true for our family. I'm not afraid to trust an unknown future to an all-knowing God. Well, what's going to happen, Pastor Joe? Oh, man, it's going to be exciting. We're going to see this thing play out. Boy, this is going to be big time. Here we go. I trust God. Number four, I hope that you can say, I know, Pastor Joe, I know that God will, he will bring me through. I've settled it. That these promises aren't just for posterity. I'm not just reading the Bible to be a better person or to read some holy poetry. I'm doing this to get this in me so I can be more like Jesus. God's going to bring me through all this junk. 2 Timothy 4. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Say it with me. Amen. Look at me. God has these promises, and he will rescue from every evil attack. But here's what happens. i got to say this quick, and Lord, give me the words. We all have known someone who was a great person, maybe even a godly person, and they got diagnosed with something and perhaps died before their time. And you think, like, God, what was that? Even some of them were standing on the word of God. Number one, let me just say as a pastor, what you don't know could fill a book. You don't know what God was speaking to them or dealing with them on or, or if God gave them a vision of paradise and said, hey, you want to just scram, I'm down. And gave them a vote in it all and they're like, you know what? See on the other side, peace, you know, just took off. You don't know. What you don't know could fill a book. But number two, what's the worst that could happen? This passage says, I believe that God will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. But which one, God? I want the rescue part. Which one? Yes. It gives you strength in a way to face the worst. I talked with one family one time. They had a family member that got cancer and it was looking bad. And I said, what would happen if they died? And they didn't even want to say that. What would happen if that person died? Oh, we'd be beyond ourselves. We'd be wailing. I'd be sobbing. I wouldn't be able to eat for a week afterwards. I said, I believe that. What about two weeks? I'd, I'd scream still. I wouldn't be able to work. I wouldn't be able to walk. People would have to lift me to go to the bathroom. I'm just, I'd be beside myself. I'd be, I'd be despondent. Okay, what about a month? Would you be able to eat after a month? I guess I'd have to eat something. I, I would just be, okay, we're six months in. Are you working? Or, I mean, I guess I'd be working, but. And you take them through the worst-case scenario, and what happens is it actually frees you. So what's the worst thing that's ever going to happen to you? you? You die and go to heaven? Oh. Okay. All of a sudden, you face your problems, your worst day, in a different way. Because the worst thing you can do to me, enemy, even if you had any kind of success, 
is I die and go to heaven. I, I get to pray to God, and God says, hey, let's get out of here. Yeah. You see it. Write it down. We don't stop until we win. We don't stop until we win. This isn't three strikes and you're out. Throw the pitch again. I'm not giving up. God has my promise. I'm not giving up on the answer that he has for me. I'm not giving, for me to give up on that promise is for me to give up on God. It's for me to say that he's not true. I'm not going to stop until we win. What if you die? I won because I'm in heaven. But I'm not going to give up a fight just because it's a hard fight. On my worst day, at my lowest day, let God be true in every man a liar. I'll stand on his promises. No weapon formed against you shall ever prosper. Every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you condemn. For it's the inheritance of the servants of the Lord. God has blessing in your hands. He has vision in your eyes. He put hope in your heart. The Bible says wherever your feet go, you claim for the gospel of peace. You are called an anointed person by God. And when you walk in that authority, no devil in hell can take you down. Come on, somebody. Give God praise. Hallelujah. And so, Lord, I pray for my church right now. God, they get it. God, they need breakthrough. Father, I pray for each and every person in the sound of my voice. If they are going through their worst day, Lord, I pray that you'd surround them right now with that support that only you can give. God, I pray for my church right now that if they're going through hardship, that you would put a holy boldness in them to do the right thing. God, if there's parents who are coddling their adult children and exploiting them to the attack of the enemy and making them into remedial adults, I pray that they would repent in this moment in Jesus' name. God, I pray for an empowered church. I pray that the young people would be an example to the believers. Lord, I pray for breakthrough. Lord, for people that need a scripture, one answer to stand on, I pray that you'd minister to their heart that word of God that they can build a life off from. God, I thank you that on their worst day, in their lowest moments, that they can know that God loves them, that you care deeply. God, I pray that they would know that you have a promise for them and a plan for them. And God, I pray that you would let them know that you will bring them through. Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just for another minute, friends. If you're in here and so much of this resonates with you, but you're like, hey, Pastor Joe, this is great, but my life's not right with God. And you know who you are. My life's not right with God, whatever that means. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When you make Jesus Lord of your life, the God of your life, you withdraw from this world system. Satan's no longer the God over your world. You have a new Lord. And that gives you eternity in heaven when you die. This is true. But conversely, Jesus said he has an abundant life for you today. So if your life's not right with God, today's the day to make him Lord. Lord means boss. You relinquish control. But if that's you and you know you need to make that decision, I want you to let me know. Now, I'm not going to call you to the front, make you stand up. This is going to be very private. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand and put it right back down. So if you're in this room and you need to have your life right with God, you want to pray and make it right with Him by making Jesus Lord, I want you to slip your hand up on the count of three. One, two, three, hands up all over the room. 
great job. Great job back there. Great job right there. Anybody else? Anybody else? Got you as well. Great job. Anybody else? Proud of you. You can just sneak it up. I'll catch it. It's all right. Nobody's looking. Proud of you. Now, to my friends that lifted their hands, you don't even have to look at me. I got you. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We're going to pray. If you mean it, he'll make all things new. I can help you out with next steps. Church, I want you to pray this with those people. Support them in the decision they make today. Pray it with me. Dear Heavenly Father, say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart, with these words, I confess. Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Put your spirit within me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. I pray for you real quick as we dismiss. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.